This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Pop Culture Confidential, and I'm Christina Yerling Biru. Hey guys, thanks so much for joining me for this special episode I'm publishing here this week. A few weeks ago, I was invited to moderate an interview with the great actor, director, and author Ethan Hawke at the Stockholm International Film Festival, ahead of him receiving the festival's Stockholm Achievement Award. Ethan Hawke was also at the festival with Wildcat, a film he's directed about the gothic novelist Flannery O'Connor. It's a project initiated and starring his daughter Maya Hawke, the musician and actor known from Stranger Things, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Maya joined us on stage later in the conversation. And as Maya has Swedish heritage on her mother's side, I started by asking Ethan about a Swedish connection I've heard of from his mother's side. When you were four, oh, she yes. showed you mm-hmm. scenes from a marriage, yep. Ingmar Bergman's movie, mm-hmm. and I don't even know how to process that. You were four years old. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I can't tell you. I, I, I saw One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest when I was six. I saw um, Bob Fosse's uh, All That Jazz when I was like 10, and that has a lot of risque sexuality in it. And I, I my mother walked me out of the movie theater and told me she put me in some Burt Reynolds movie or something and then came back and I still came back to watch the Bob Fosse movie and from the back. So I, I grew up watching a lot of movies that I shouldn't have been watching. <laughs> then you got to see Paw Patrol. Yeah, like yeah. Like age seven. Yeah. <laughs> We're about the same age and one thing that's always struck me about your career is how you've dove into really showing the beauty and the horror of of sort of normal life. You've covered in your career marriage and and childhood and fatherhood and love and divorce in movies like Boyhood and the Beyond Trilogy and all these films. Have you consciously chosen your roles at the stage of life you were in? Yeah. um, I made, I don't know if it came out here, but last year I, I released a documentary about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. And what I did when I made that movie, because I was trying to, how do you make a a movie about the life of a couple actors? And I know that one of, there's a secret I have in my head that whenever I'm reading a script or thinking about a part, you're thinking about, can I contribute? And does this movie connect with me in any way? Is there some line that I would really like you to see? That there's some moment that would be really important and worth your time and that connects to me personally and you should, sometimes it's just one line sometimes it's the whole thing sometimes it's one moment that I feel and so when I was making that documentary I tried to ask myself why did they pick the part why did they do this movie and it was strange how much it opened up oh they were having a tough time in their marriage this is a movie about marriage and you people think because actors play characters that the work isn't reflective of their inner life and 
if you, once you get past the point of just always, you know, when you're just auditioning, you're just trying to get a job. But once you have some selection process of the parts that you choose, that's exactly what you do. There's, there's political things you want to be contributing or personal things you want to be contributing. And I always am looking for a part to say, why, why would I make this movie this year? Like your amazing work with Linklater. I mean, that's decades in the making. I'm curious about how those 20 years looked, how your correspondence was. Would Richard like call you and say, hey, I had a baby. We had to put that in the next movie. And was this all written between you? Yeah. I mean, those were, we wrote, we made Boyhood and Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight all at the same time, really. Um, you know, the Before trilogy lasts 18 years and Boyhood lasts 12, and we were working on them simultaneously. And so there are many nights of my life for years that would end. I had this dog all the time, and I used to call Rick when I'd walk the dog late at night, because he, he's always a night owl. And we would just chat and talk about Jesse and Celine or talk about Mason and what the families were happening, and those were two places, almost like a bucket, where you could put aspects of your life into that you thought might be relevant to those works. And there's a rumor, I don't know if you can say it, but that you're working with him again? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us anything about that? Uh, the truth of the matter is we've been working together. He has a couple, his one humongous idea that if we make it, we'll be here in Stockholm and it will be the greatest film of all time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, he's, been, he's been working on it for about 15 years and I'm finally old enough and we're really trying to finish it. So this is not the one where Jesse works, does this great project with his adult daughter. That would be a cool movie yeah. too. You started, you were in The Explorers when you were 13, mm -hmm. then um, Dead Poets when you were 18. You were a huge teen idol with Reality, with reality Bites. Um, how did you survive that as unscathed as you seem to have? Childhood fame. Well, I'm, I appreciate that you say appear, um, because <laughs> it, I, I certainly don't feel unscathed. Um, you know, I met Helen uh, Skarsgård here last night, and I was incredibly moved by him because he started really young, yeah, too. Yeah, same trajectory. And he has so much joy uh, and interest and curiosity about people and work and things. And I, I find that extremely compelling when people don't kind of give in and look at the job like a business or work or, you know, it's... It's incredible challenges you get older not to be very suspicious. You, you, you run into a lot of people with impure motivations at every walk, at every turn in life, in any profession. And the film business sometimes brings out the best in people and the worst in people. And it's very easy to lose the kid in you that sees a crowd like this and wants to perform and says, hey, we're alive right now in this moment. I want to sing a song. I want to dance. Check this out. This is a great line. Hear this. And that, that little voice inside of you that wants to do that, I think is beautiful. And I think is extremely interesting. The value of getting older is you can add experience to that. If, if, you, if you can keep the joy and curiosity alive, you can add, you can add it. 
you know, confidence only comes with experience. Until you really know what you're doing, you, you're just pretending to be confident at it. Um, and then real confidence sets in after you have experience in it. So if you can keep the joy of it alive, then you can really maybe do something really interesting. But like someone like Peter Weir, I understand that he was monumental for you as an 18-year-old kid doing this big movie. What were some of the things on that film that sort of prepared you for the I'll tell you, Peter Weir, for those who don't know, he directed Dead Poets Society, but he's a genius. I mean, he's a great master filmmaker. He did Master and Commander and Truman Show and Witness and Gallipoli and Picnic at Hanging Rock, a million wonderful uh, movies that he modeled for me the aspiration of how to make populist art. There's a certain kind of art that is truly avant-garde and truly breathtaking and boundary pushing. And then there's a certain kind of art, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark, which everybody loves. And we all kind of enjoy it. And then there's this middle path where you're really trying to communicate with a lot of people and give them the things that they need, but you're also trying to be innovative. And I think people like Peter did that. He did that with his whole career. And showed that it could be done. He takes the audience into consideration and he was still, he would walk us through Andrew Wyeth books and talk about photography. And he did, to be really specific, he did the most amazing thing, which was, I had a, the character in that movie and I are supposed to, we're roommates in this prep school and we're supposed to be best friends. And so he, he challenged us to write three different three-page scenes about how our characters became friends. And then he took out the day out of days, they call it, what we're shooting when, and he showed us what day we were going to shoot that. It was like 74 part B. You know, it's an unscripted scene. And we had two weeks to hand him in these three different versions of the scene. And he picked one, Mm -hmm. and we shot it. And it's not in the movie, but he, uh, afterwards, he goes, well, that was a great scene. How do you feel about it? And we were like, we really like it. And I realized right then that the mission of that scene was for us to become friends and be creative together. That was what he was doing. And the positive manifestations of what happened in that scene came out in other scenes well, mm-hmm. through our intimacy and, and, and comfort with each other because it's really challenging to write together. And there I was, 18 years old, and Peter Weir's filming a scene I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really thrilling. And I'll add this little thing. Three, four years later, they were showing the movie on public television, you know, and he called us up and he said, they made me make the movie four minutes longer, so your scene's in. <laughs> and we tuned in and we watched it that night. We couldn't believe it. And you've dived into so many different things and you've an author, you've written novels and music and, and started very young but how are you at criticism? To other people's work? No, to your own. I am an old fashioned actor. Mm-hmm. I like attention and I like to be loved. <laughs> I like that attention to be positive. Well, I, admire, <laughs> I admire so much, you know, like when you see a real punk rock show and you see Patti Smith come out there and scream at the audience and you know, wail, sobs, and move people in these ways that really make people uncomfortable. I I admire the hell out of it. And every now and then I have the guts to do it. But as soon as I do it, I'm like, didn't you like it? You know? (laughs) Um, uh, It's it's really, uh, 
it's it's a form of physical torture yeah. to to want when you choose a life of an actor you choose it because you really want to make people happy but you also understand that that's a rather insipid goal um, that people need more from art than to be happy you know I remember my favorite negative my mother and I when I was growing up she loved this film critic her name was Pauline Kael and she loved this film critic and so we would always go see a movie and then afterwards read what Pauline Kael wrote about it at the dinner table and invariably my, my mother never agreed with Pauline Kael but she just loved the smart things and sure enough Pauline Kael reviewed Dead Poets Society Ooh. right so this <laughs> is really an exciting moment we bust out the New Yorker and there it is a review and one of the lines in it she says if I I see another movie that makes me feel good about myself, I'm going to take a handgun and blow my brains out. <laughs> and I, I just loved it. And I know what she means. You know, I mean, you want movies to, to do more than make, they should do more than make you feel good about yourself. They should, it's, you know, you, it's a very hard dance to want to be liked and want to make meaningful, substantive, challenging art with your life. Well, you certainly have. I, I want to talk a little bit about your process in, as an actor. I've heard that you like to have your pockets full, uh, literally, when you're in character. Is that only, true? Only something. You say yeah. these things once, and it, you know, <laughs> you so regret it. There are certain... It drives me crazy, for example. You go see a movie, and um, somebody says, uh, the line is, uh, oh, can I have your car keys, right? And the person goes, and there's the car keys. Like... I mean, I have to look for my car keys, you know, and there's, and then you pull them out and there's like matches and gum and, you know, and I remember reading something, it was in a cop thing where, uh, you, about how much you can tell about a deceased person by what's in their pockets. Oh, wow. And so I started thinking, well, right, what would my character have that really would tell you a lot about who they were? And it's really a game that you're playing with yourself as a performer, that you want to believe yourself. Because how am I going to convince you, um, Chet Baker, John Brown, or these other characters, if, if I don't believe myself that I'm them? Mm -hmm. And so you want to be as complete and real a human being in front of the camera, in front of the stage, as you can possibly build, be to fill out your imagination. Does that make sense? Right. It says something but about there's some her. people that don't have anything in their pockets, no. and then that'd be right for that character. So what do you have in your pockets now? To be uh, I, I have broken glass. <laughs> oh, no. That does not sound good. <laughs> It, it, it was a somebody just gave me this um, outfit and I really Very liked nice. it yeah. and so there's nothing in my pockets at all. Okay, I'm, well, a, I'm, a, I'm a mannequin of a person. You look very nice. Yeah. <laughs> um. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to talk to you about another movie that you have here, actually, the Almodovar movie, Strange Way of Life. If you guys have to go out and get to see this movie, he talks about that 20 years ago, he was actually going to make and was offered to make Brokeback Mountain that Ang Lee eventually made. Um, what has he brought to this? Because he says that this is his version. He's a great artist. Um, and I don't know what he would say. Uh, so what do you think he brought to it is what I'm saying. I think 
he has been a leader in the queer movement before it was cool, you know? I mean, this is his life's work and his energy is about celebration of all of us as individuals and celebrating what is unique about us and not living in judgment of other people. This is very important to him. And I would suspect that there's a large part of him that doesn't like to see a lot of what is called gay cinema or stories of particularly men who are in love with each other. They have, they end in tragedy. And I've heard him talk about going to see movies and read books about men in love with each other and how often they end in some brutal killing or some, and he, um, he, did, he wanted to make something that didn't end that way, that maybe, maybe they'll live happily ever after. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> I mean, I think you have over 80 movies that you've acted in. So if you'll indulge me, I can't, we don't have time to do that all now. But if you'll indulge me in sort of a lightning round, I'm going to say some names of actors you've worked with. And you just, off the top of your head, tell me what you think of. River Phoenix. Um. <laughs> Uh, so River for the, was my first scene partner, and we learned about acting together. Uh, I mean, I could talk all night about River. Uh, I, you know what? I'll just I'll try to be yeah, quick. quick. <laughs> I'm getting this lifetime thing. It really breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. He didn't get to live. And when I remember when we were young, I I thought that there was something. This is going to sound awful, just but. When you're young, you have a romance around, you know, you hear these expressions, live fast and die young, and you hear this, and, and it's such a, it's, it's just a joke. L living is so amazing, and that's what we're here to do, and I feel so sorry. I would love for him to get this prize, and to be here, and the work that he would have done, and the relationships he would have had, and the ways in which he would have, he was truly, he was the first um, person of my generation to be fully actualized artist. He, at 21, uh, My Own Private Idaho is the work of a real actor-artist. And we, none, none of us had done that yet. True. Okay, Denzel. Denzel is probably the greatest actor I've ever experienced. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, the power and force of his imagination, the wit, the humor, the intensity, and the commitment. I think... It's very hard to even, unless you've done it a little bit, to sustain that level of commercial excellence. You know, I started talking about populist art. He's been a movie star for 30 years, and he's a great actor. He's not an action star. He's not a comedian. All those things are wonderful things. I love him. But he's a great actor, and he's a movie star. And it's impossible to do for three years in a row. And to do it for 30, and to carry the burden of race, of what that, what that kind of trip and the agenda that that puts on other people, um, he's carried it seemingly without any effort. Right. Well, you're doing a pretty good job, no, too. <laughs> okay, two more here. Robin Williams. Robin Williams is, uh, a, he was a comic genius. Um, it was incredibly difficult to be in the same room with him. 
<laughs> um, I mean, if he was here right now, you can't imagine. He would be literally, the molecules in his body would be bouncing off the whole edge of the stage and we would all be wetting ourselves, you know. Um, <laughs> and, um, and that's a heavy burden. Yeah. You know, sure that's a heavy burden. But so, yeah, I, it, it, he got me my first agent. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm forever grateful. Maya Hawk. <laughs> Well, I don't know if she feels this way, but I was, people often ask us what it was like to work together. And particularly when we were starting, people say, are you nervous about working with your daughter? And I think they would ask her, are you worried about And we finally came to each other and like, are people saying this to you? Like, should we be? It's clearly seeming like this is something other people think we should be nervous about, but we weren't. And the greatest thing happened about, 10 minutes ago, right before I walked up here, is I realized that my work is really important to me. And it's forever tied with her work. You sh- in the thing of my little reel, there was Maya. And, and the work is really, it's a part of me. And I'm so happy to share it with her and to see her face up there as a part of what people think of as my work um, and to see it connected to her. Uh, so I, I, I don't know what else to say except... Well, I was wondering, since you've made this amazing movie, if Maya would join us. Yeah? <laughs> Bring it up. Hello. Do you remember the first movie Ethan showed you? It's like Tarkovsky or something? <laughs> Ever? Uh, I think it was A Bug's Life. Okay. <laughs> I've watched that movie a lot. Another type of parenting, yeah. I watched, showed that one to my kids a lot, too. Um, you guys have made this incredible movie together that really originates with you, Maya. This is Flannery O'Connor was someone who resonated with you. You did your first um, audition, a text of hers for Juilliard. Tell the audience who are going to see this movie who was Flannery O'Connor and what does she mean to you? Well, what I'll say is that I have had the great blessing, um, like my dad was talking about his mom showing movies, and I've had the great blessing of having my dad show me movies, but also books and really engage with me as a conversation partner um, from a really young age. And I think that that's one of my favorite things about about the way that I grew up was that I grew up being invited to be a part of the conversation of adults. Um, And one of the main things we would talk about is poetry, literature, and our place in the universe. Um, What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to do your work? What does it mean to do it in a healthy way? And I was having a really hard time as a teenager, like, all teenagers do, not a particularly special hard time, I think an ordinary baseline hard time. Um, and uh, 
I found uh, Flannery's prayer journal, uh, which is kind of a confessional of another young person having a hard time. And you know, she was taught in my English class, and she's this famous writer. But when you read her prayer journal from when she's in uh, university, she's so insecure. Um, about her talent, um, about her capacity, about shaping her ambition with her uh, idea of what she's supposed to do with her life, be a mother, a wife, um, you know, and, and, and a good Catholic. Uh, and how to kind of bring those two things together. And I wasn't dealing with exactly those same issues, but I was deeply trying to investigate who I was and the idea that I could be as insecure as I was and maybe secretly be a genius um, was very optimistic to me. Um, and... Uh, and so that's kind of what then we started talking to each other about is... Can your creative pursuit be a surrogate for your relationship to your higher power? Um, can the creative act serve something larger than your own egotistical uh, self-promotion? And um, our hope is that it can. And this, that's what this movie is about in many ways. She's a fab, brilliant, fascinating character she was. She had a quote. She said, the truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. She was also quite controversial um, from the Jim Crow South. Um, talk about how you prepared portraying her. Well, you know, for, it'll be interesting to watch the movie here tonight because she is very much an American artist. I mean, I don't know if you can take any great artist and really remove them completely from the land and water and that, that make them up. But she was raised in the, a racist Jim Crow South, and she lost her father very young, and she had a mother who wanted her to be a very different kind of person. But supported her getting an education, which was uh, unique for that time in that climate, um, supported her going north to get an education, um, and a very powerful woman who, raised, who ran a farm. So she had a very complicated woman was her mother. And so I guess I'm trying to prepare you all for watching the movie of, of what bit might be I don't know, I, I, I hope that it doesn't seem uniquely American in the bad sense, that maybe it's in the good <laughs> sense. But I lost the question. What was well, the question? I have an answer. Yeah. How do we go about figuring out how to portray her? Yeah. And what I, what I was thinking was that, I haven't said this yet, which is why I'm so excited, okay. you know, as yeah. a, new, a, new, a new thing, a new um, thought. A, a new thought. Um, but an awesome thing about being directed by your dad is that he knows how you are as a real person. And I don't mean my real qualities. I mean waking up in the morning and brushing your teeth and complaining about something and sitting with bad posture. And his introduction to you is as a, a full real person. And so often roles for women are either, you know, you're either like Ursula or the Little Mermaid, you know? <laughs> like you don't get to be unlikable and not the villain of the story. Um, unlikable and impressive. 
Um, that's a new, th I mean, there, there are movies that exist, like Tar is a great example, and there are, there are movies that exist, but I, but there's not many, and I was, especially as a young woman, um, really excited to have someone who knew that I could be unlikable and weird and uncomfortable and direct me in this, because I, it mattered to me a lot that Flannery didn't get a, a paint job, you know, to have it make her look better than she was. Um, it's really true. I, I, it, you know, we all learn things through raising our kids and everything, and, and as a person making movies, you do realize one of my original ideas about this movie is I want to make a movie about a woman and her relationship to herself and her work. There's so many movies where Al Pacino and Gene Hackman and Denzel, the primary relationship is to their job and how that makes them feel about themselves. And when you, for the, you know, generalizing, there's a great deal of movies where the female characters are in relationship to other people. It's about their boyfriend, it's about their kid, it's about their mom or whatever. But it's not about their relationship to themselves and their work. And we really wanted to do that. And we wanted to not apologize. She was not interested in virtue signaling. She was not interested in telling you a story that, you know, that makes you feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. She was interested in poking you, you know, and, and prompting you. And I, I would read her stories and you would feel yourself, it's kind of the highest compliment you could give something, which is I'd feel myself deeply moved and not be able to articulate why. It's almost like listening to Beethoven or something where it's beyond vocabulary. You're stirred, but you don't have an exact, like, this is why I want to be a better person, you, you, you know, and I'm going to, you know, you shouldn't lie because this. She, it's so much more complicated than that. And we wanted to challenge ourselves to match her or to, to stand in her shadow and at least not make a work that would make her ashamed. She's one of my favorite lines. In her lifetime, before she died, somebody made a movie of one of her stories and it starred Gene Kelly. And I thought about this every day when we were making the movie and every time we sh show it is they, she was doing an interview exactly like this, talking to some students, and you, you're not students, but she was talking to students. <laughs> and, um, but where somebody says, what was it like to have Gene Kelly star in your movie? She said, well, I watched it and I can imagine that it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of how her brain works. You know, she just saw that never in herself and other people, she was always poking and prodding and disappointed and trying to make it better. Pauline Kael would have loved your movie. <laughs> we don't have a lot of time, but I want to congratulate you as well that this the longest strike in actor history and is it's over, over within 24 hours. Which means that I can ask you some quick questions about coming projects. I, do you have, a, is, this was a rumor a long time ago that you have another project together, Revolver. We don't know. No? Everything died when the strike died, mm -hmm. and I don't know what's going to... Also, the way that you get movies made is you like announce them to fundraise for them, and there's, you don't necessarily know Doesn't if they're going to happen. kicked in the money. Um, but but yeah. Stranger Things is happening. That's yes. Happening. It won't happen for anyone else for a long time. No. We have a long time to film it, and it takes a long time to put it together, but it is going to happen. And do you know anything about the last season? I mean, not that I can tell you. It's always everyone knows that we yeah. can't tell anyone anything, and they always ask. I, I can say this, that it was no sooner was the strike over than she got an email from Camp Stranger Things, and it's time to get back All to work. Right. <laughs> um, the festival said we can ask a few questions from the audience. So I see if I can see. Right here? 
He's asking if um, you gained any new insight into your own creativity making this movie. You know, I think this could also provide as a good, it's a great question as an introduction to the movie because a lot, Maya touched on this, but I, I wanted to say this before you watch the movie, which was that when Maya had the idea to make this movie, she also knew it was hitting me at a very strange moment. It was around, I'd done this TED talk that he's asking about, about creativity, and I was turning 50, and I was, I'd hit a really hard depression because I was so disappointed in myself that when I was Maya's age, and even younger, um, I was so interested in what people call a spiritual life. You know, I was so interested in religion and philosophy, and it was all I read about and all I thought about. And then something stalled inside of me, and all of a sudden I was 50 years old. <laughs> and I, 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 I never, I was like, I never got past first base. I never, I thought all these thoughts as a young person, and I never did anything with these thoughts. I never went further with them. Um, and then I had a kind of realization that my spiritual life is manifest in my acting and in the art that I make, and that there it is an act of worship at its best. It is a celebration of why we're here and what does it mean to be alive and to be breathing and to go about our days. And so a lot of that, what I was thinking about in that TED Talk went into the thesis statement of this movie, which is this: uh, there's some kind of equation between what is imagination and what is faith and what is our reality. And, can we do one more? One more? Right here? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm studying acting right now. Uh, you're actually the reason why I wanted to become an actor. Don't blame me. I wondered if any of both of you have any general tips for anyone that wants to become an actor, what to think about, not tips like acting lessons, but like a mindset or a mindset of acting advice to a new you already, coming, coming actor I, I'll here. I'll tell you this. You, one thing, you already don't need it by asking that question that it's not a tip. It's, he said, I'm not looking for tips. I'm looking for a mindset. And the mindset is all that matters. You know, it's a Shakespeare line, all things be ready if our minds be so. And, and you don't want it to be true because we all know our minds are in inner chaos. Uh, but you can work on your mindset and how you think about things and how you think about the work. Um, it, it's, and it has to be rooted. It's a corny word, but if it's rooted in love, what do you love? What do you think is interesting? What do you value? What, follow it in other people, you know, see other people's work, follow it, meet other people, work with them, do it. And when they turn you on, that's where you want to be. That's the room you, and when you're not turned on, get out, you, you know? I have one thing. Yes. It's a very good place to end and we should have done that, but I got excited about my thought. Um, but I, like make things. 
even when people don't give you permission to make things. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, the happiest young actors that I know are people who are working with their friends. They're auditioning and they're doing the thing, but when they don't get a job, they're meeting with their friends, writing a short film, filming it. If they like music, working on music. If they like writing poetry, writing poetry, submitting it to magazines. Like, If you engage in the act of making things, people will find it. And, and you will find yourself in the process and be better prepared. Um, just, it's, you know what I totally mean? Totally agree. Like if people who are waiting for people to give them permission to make things, very few of those people get lucky. And it's hardest in acting. Yeah. Because people keep thinking they're one part away. You know, just do it. <laughs>